I was in a such a desperate place you know I was on the edge of a nervous breakdown just not coping nobody to talk to because people outside of hospitality their advice was you know you just need to pull your socks up and get it together it was just like no no understanding whatsoever and I couldn't and all that did was make me feel even more guilty about my headspace at the moment on dirty linen we are talking women in hospitality the good the bad the things that need to change I am really thrilled to bring into this conversation somebody who I know is going to have a lot of value to say. Her name is Nims Zavakis and she is from Brisbane. Uh, she runs an organisation called Mise en Place Bonne Femme, which is all about women having open-hearted conversations and supporting each other in and around hospitality. Welcome, Nims. So great to have you on Dirty Linen. Thank you. It's good to be here. So... I'd love you just to start by telling us a bit about yourself and what made you start Bon Femme. Um, well, I've been I've been a chef for a little over thirty years. Owned three of my own venues. Sold the last one last year. It was a COVID miracle. The Sunday that the announcement was made, I nearly vomited in my mouth because our contract hadn't gone unconditional yet, and it mm. went through on the Tuesday. So we we missed out by the smell of an oily rag. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was huge. Um, so uh, Bonfem started because I found, you know, when I first opened our first place in Sydney, um, I'd run kitchens, been head chef for other people. So, you know, I went into it with, even though I'd had all the experience, with beautiful romantic notions about what owning my own place would be like. Um, I was four months pregnant, which made it worse. And the reality of the truth of what I'd committed to sort of sunk in. I ended up with severe postnatal depression and no support, no nothing. Um, it was shocking. I used to have these nightmares. You know, I'd have all the, the dockets banked up. And, um, oh, I used to have nightmares where I'd be in the kitchen and all these people, I was in my little kitchen in the middle of a field and all these people would come at me over the edge of the field and I could never get past my first docket and people kept putting dockets in. I was totally out of control. People kept coming over the edge of the field and my dockets at the end got thicker and thicker and then blew away in the wind and I could never get past that first docket. So this was my <gasps> this is my wake up and go and, and do service, you know, oh, Sunday brunch. That is so intense. I know, it oh was my horrible. Goodness. So I had that dream for about four years. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god. And I remember um, I was in a such a desperate place, you know. I was on the edge of a nervous breakdown, just not coping, nobody to talk to because people outside of hospitality, you know, the more the more I tried to talk about this to, I remember talking to like a mother's group I belonged to and, and their advice was, you know, you just need to pull your socks up and get it together. It was just like no, no understanding whatsoever and I couldn't and all that did was make me feel even more guilty about my headspace anyway sure. I ended up writing a very big letter to Maggie Beer because I used to watch the cook and the chef and she always and still does comes across as this really beautiful woman with a heart that's big enough to hug the world um 
I want to cry. So I, no. I, wrote, I wrote a letter to her. I was in such a desperate place. I wrote a letter and just asked her to help me because I just didn't have anyone to talk to. I had oh, no my one, goodness. You no didn't one. know her. You just knew her from her media profile. Yeah, I was, I was desperate and I thought she, she'll understand. Wow, that is so I'm going to cry now too. <laughs> I know, it was terrible. So I wrote her a letter and then I got a phone call from her. She was oh on the way. God. I know, she was on the way back from Melbourne. And she was about half an hour out from hitting home and um, she rang me in the car and she said, I just read your letter and I just, I, I just, I'm so sorry, you know. Let me get home and I'll make a cup of tea and here's my home number. And call me in about half an hour. So I called her and she was just so generous with loving me because she knew where I was. You know, I, I didn't have to explain the story. She heard it and she just said, oh, my beautiful, wonderful girl, you're going to be fine and just loved me. It was just wonderful. And after I got off the phone, you know, I felt like I was going to be okay. I just needed someone to to hear me and tell me that without judging where I was or trying to give me advice that they knew nothing about offering, trying to, you know, all the do-gooders that you just think you've got no idea what I'm talking about. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I guess from that moment I used to then look for, you know, once I'd got my strength back, I was always looking for other girls that I could see, you know, had little quivering chins and weren't coping. I'd go into someone's cafe and when you've worked this industry long enough, you can really quickly see who's not coping. You can pick up on it so quickly just by how they're delivering their food or how dishevelled they're looking or, you know, if their staff are stressed or, um, you know. Um, you know, I'll go into a cafe and if I can see it's run by a woman and she's not coping, I'll just get up and go, do you want me to put a round of dishes in and introduce myself and just, you know, because... <laughs> wow, you're like yeah. an angel sweeping in. But I, I suppose I do that too because that's all I wanted. I used to pray, please, please just send somebody to do my dishes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, about um, three years ago, I was thinking about hospitality, you know, because it, it is such a hostile industry. And in Brisbane, especially because the, the food industry up here is still quite young. They haven't really developed their roots and there's no real sense of community across kitchens and because there's no sort of real depth of food culture here yet. So, and because it's so young, you're getting a lot of, young chefs that maybe haven't managed kitchens before, a lot of young boys with big egos coming up and they're treating people like crap and the industries um, can be really competitive and um, not, not, not hard. Hospitality should be hospitable and it began to feel like the furthest thing from that that you could find. And I thought, I don't know how to solve this, but I need to find a way and I was... Um, just praying one day about what to do and I just, I just, like I, I kind of, I surrendered myself to that. Like 
whatever it is that needs to be done. Whatever it is, I, I put my hand up. I don't know what that looks like, but if I feel if I put my hand up, then I'll get an answer that could, that could change things. Anyway, then I was setting my intentions for the new year and, and I thought, you know, I just need to invite the girls for lunch. It was just like this revelation that dropped into my lap because the table, whether you're with family or whether you're with friends, if you're, if you're in a business meeting and you want to connect at a deeper level to somebody, um, the best way to do that is across food. And I thought if, if, if as women, there's so many women in this town that are doing it alone and isolated and feeling just like me. And I think if, if women start something, that's why, you know, I laugh about you know, say the Jewish religion that's passed down through the line of the women because the women's where it's at. The women are the, are the, the ones that create tradition and make sure things are adhered to and have a real heart for whatever is being done. If you want something to, if you want a foundation to be laid and you want it to stick, make sure there's women involved in the project. Um, so I thought, well, I'll just, um, I'll invite the girls for lunch because if, if we're around a table and we're eating like we're family, and we actually develop deep relationships with each other that's beyond networking. Like if we're, if we're each other's someone that we can call at 2am and we're each other's someone that we can call when, you know, shit hits the fan. And if we actually love each other, then hospitality has a chance to be really hospitable again. And we as, a, as an industry, if we actually care about each other, the ugliness has a chance to lift off us because um, nobody understands us like we do. So, for instance, you know, I've got a one of the girls that's one of our members rang me this morning. Her chef's father died and one of her chefs has decided to leave her in the lurch and take tomorrow off. And she's like, Mims, I don't know what to do. And I said, I'll, I'll come and do you want me to come and cover for you? So... She messaged me, yes, can you come and work for me tomorrow? Sure. <laughs> nice. That's what you do for each other. And I do that for her, not because I'm trying to get brownie points or anything else. It's because I genuinely love her and mm. I don't want to see her in a pit of despair, which is so, so easy to feel that way in this industry. Do you think it's... I mean, Anyone, I suppose, can feel unsupported and alone in mm. such a hard industry as hospitality. Mm. But what about the way that you and these women that you've connected with, what about the way that everybody's feeling and experiencing the industry, do you think, is to do with the fact that they're a woman? I think women, there's there's so much more expectation placed on us and men can go in and execute something and um, it's applauded and you know there's not a lot of criticism placed at it you get sort of the round of applause and it's all awesome and you know ego sort of buffs up ego and that's all a bit of fun but if women do something there's the the automatic response I think is is almost judgment it's not um the automatic response isn't isn't wow isn't that amazing and and just complete support 
the automatic response response often is oh yeah she's got tickets on herself Mm. yeah so you think women have to try harder or do even better to have the same acknowledgement as a man might expect absolutely and I notice a lot of girls you know if they're launching something or doing something the um the pressure on making sure just in case making sure that you know there's a, a the the execution is perfect the team is really trained like there's a there's a, a whole different dynamic and a whole different level of of excellence that they feel that they have to hit and then they're comfortable to start doing you know marketing and and do press releases and that sort of thing but even you know the vocab in the press releases um all of that all of that sort of stuff is you know people will send we send each other things what do you think about this is there anything i can do what can i can i make this better do you think that's going to be okay you know we check in with each other to make sure before we launch it into the public space Mm. whereas i don't know that men put that much they just do it and it's accepted and and people move on but but the yeah yeah we have a we we have a need to make sure it's all really beautiful before we send it because the judgment's harsher. Well, I keep half quoting this study that I've vaguely heard. And so it's something along the lines of, you know, a man that's underqualified for a job will will still apply for it. They'll apply up. But women who are overqualified for positions will still wonder if they're good enough to take yeah. it. We so suffer it's... from the imposter syndrome so much more than men. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you had this brainwave to get some uh, women around a table. Mm. Um, is that is that what Bonfemme is like? Is there a, is there a structure to it? And and how long ago was this first lunch? So was the first just... lunch was three years ago, and there was 16, 16 women at the table. Yeah. Um, and one of them, you know, we're eating, and we look up, and she's in tears. And I said, Emma Kate, what's what's going on? And she said, This is the first time in six years that I've been at a lunch that isn't about anybody else. It's just about me. <laughs> Beautiful I and know. heartbreaking. Yeah. Because <laughs> we pour so much of ourselves in, you know, and then and then if, if an, another event happens or anything like that, then, you know, there's this expectation that we'll do it. So, so even on our clocked off time, we're not off. We're constantly. One of, one of the girls said to me the other day, actually, she said, you know, the difference between being a, a business owner in hospitality as a woman and a and a business owner, say, in the corporate world is they only get um, reviewed once a year. So they go in, they get their, their performance review, they fall apart, can't deal with it, you know, have to get some help about, you know, the feedback and analyse it for a week and carry on. And she said, but we, we get, we get performance reviewed every second of every day Mm. so the pressure for that is intense and I think even if you're doing you know a private function with your friends you're still you're still on you never really you're never really off until you're at home and the doors are shut and you eat Vegemite on toast I just had Vegemite on toast (laughs) just before we got on this call (laughs) it's definitely good for many things yeah, so uh, so Bonfem, we started doing the lunches because you know I was running my own cafe and doing sixty to eighty hours a week and didn't really have 
headspace for anything beyond that. Um, and then last year we didn't do anything because of COVID. There was there was I couldn't do anything, and then I had to toy with the idea of if if I continue with it, it's really needed. But it can't just be what it was, because um, the you know I was getting phone calls and emails from from girls who hadn't connected and they really missed it. And you could you could you could hear the depth of their pain because there was no there was no connection. They weren't getting there you know, big fat hugs and, you know, having five vats of wine with each other and laughing and crying and, you know, like we, we'd arrive for lunch at 11.30 and the last one I'd leave at five. It was seriously a really good afternoon. Mm. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I've, I've got to make this real. I've got to make this something that I do as my thing, I think. <laughs> it just <laughs> felt, just felt really good. It lit me up. You know, so yep. now the lunches are still very much the core of what we do, but you don't get to come to those unless you're a member. Um, we're doing public events. So this coming Tuesday, we've got a, a masterclass in authentic communication. So working out what your values are and getting really clear on who you are so you can communicate that effectively. So you can know through your menus and you know what you're actually doing. You're not just in a sea of same, same. You're like, you know, this is me. Um, and you're able to communicate that really effectively through all your channels. Um, so that's happening on Tuesday. That's a public masterclass because I think a lot of people don't really know how to tell people who they are in whatever they're doing. Um, so there's those things. We're doing lots of adventures. We've got a, an adventure slash lunch coming up next month where we're going up to a dairy farm. Um, I'm looking at booking something awesome in Frieda's Field. So we're going to do, you know, whatever's coming up. It's hard now to book things a long way in advance. There's still that trepidation with sure. COVID. And, but, um, yeah, it's, it, it's not a networking event. It's just an excuse for the girls to get together and let off some steam and um, connect and develop really healthy, really supportive relationships. I mean, it sounds really amazing, but it also makes me think, about you like you obviously can't pick up every shift when somebody's no. chef goes AWOL. No. No. are you what do you do for you for yourself to make sure that you know you've got yeah your boundaries and that you're looking after yourself in amongst all this um I am not scared to say no <laughs> that's if, a bloody good one isn't it I mean you yep. must have yeah that's something that we could all probably be better at Yes, if 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 somebody asks me to do something and I look at my calendar and and I can fit it in without um, sacrificing what my plans were, um, I'll say yes. I had another girl ask me a couple of days ago if I couldn't. I couldn't because I had to get. I had a deadline for an article I was writing and I just couldn't. So I offered her some other solutions and. Um, she was able to find somebody else. So I'm here to to support. I'm not always going to be able to do the supporting myself, but often mm. often that's not what you need. Often you just need someone to go, I so understand where you're at and this is what I did and I hear you and let me know, you know, if there's anything else. You just need you need a sounding board. Yeah. You need you need you need a hug across the phone. Yeah. I mean, is there? A, could you see yourself getting back into um, owning a cafe or a restaurant? 
Um, I don't think so. I'm 50 now. And my my lower back and feet are telling me that that's not going to be a good idea anymore. <laughs> I'm just, um, I think I'm out of, coming out of the jam pantry too. Um, last year was very high stress. This was the business that you just sold? Yeah, and yeah. I, I didn't realise until maybe three months ago how burnt out I've actually, I actually was. Because you just, you just stick yourself in survival mode. You don't allow yourself, when you're so high pressure leading a business like that, you don't allow yourself to feel a lot. You just, you just click your head over and, you know, like a good chef, you just push, 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 push. And you're, you're, you're so versed in controlling your emotions, especially in a service place, because you can't afford to lose your shit if you lead the business and you're leading the kitchen. You just can't afford to do that. I've got to set an example for my team and be really calm and provide solutions and make us move on. So I didn't realise until, you know, a couple of months ago how how burnt out I was and how much I, I suppose that's why I cried earlier because, you know, the emotions are just flowing now. <laughs> mm. like, I've given myself licence, finally went, actually, Nimsy, you can, you can let it go. It feels good. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. One of the other girls asked me that, they they said you know how are we gonna how are we ever gonna eat your food again if you don't own another cafe? I said I don't know I might have to ask you over for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean you've talked about these feelings of of aloneness and a sort of a lack of support. You've talked mm. about some of the physical burdens that you, you carry when you work in that um, hospitality environment. It is mm. very hard on the hard on the back and hard mm. on the feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what do you think? it will take or what needs to happen for hospitality to be a a friendlier place for women and indeed for anybody i think if if there were more women able to job share responsibility like they do corporately there's such an expectation even with um you know the new wage laws coming in that you know people uh, are on salary, they're only doing 38 hours, but there's still this unspoken expectation that you do 50 hours, that you do. Now, I didn't. I paid my staff hourly. But there still is an expectation um, for that unspoken, you know, you have to stay until the job's finished and then you don't you don't punch that in. I think if... If people people need to be more realistic, bosses need to be more realistic about what how many hours a role actually entails. And then you know if there was a role that that needed to be filled, and it was sixty hours a week realistically, then why not let two women share that that are really good and they're communicating to each other and they're both working clean and they're you know I love working with women because we love writing prep lists and we love setting ourselves up for success for tomorrow and when we clean down we love restocking our fridges it's pretty fabulous actually so if there were two girls that worked similar in a same role only doing 30 hours a week and then they could still have a family and they could still you know be talking to each other and menu planning and doing all of that I think that would be wonderful I think that's such a good idea and I think perhaps those I could imagine that it those women would be happy to 
let each other shine. It yeah. wouldn't be wouldn't necessarily be competitive. No. I think if there was really beautiful open dialogue with them and that was encouraged, often often competition is encouraged in a kitchen because there's a lot of egos at play. But I think if people are valued and their skills are valued, there's no need for egos. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think if people, egos often come into play, especially with, with, with men, when not their skills but who they are isn't, isn't acknowledged, when people aren't saying to them, you know, you're, you're a good person, you know, I love this about your character, I see you. I think that's, that's, a, that's a human need that we all share, man or woman. But men tend to, you know, I've noticed when I've, when I've um, mentored young men in my kitchens and they've been my apprentices, they come to me full of angst and trying to prove themselves and they get themselves tied up in such knots because, you know, they come from kitchens where, you know, they've had knives thrown at their heads or told that they're effing idiots or, you know, you can't do anything, you know, you're going to have to... You know, you go and be a shit kicker. You're not going to be able to cook anywhere except a bloody RSL, you big loser. You know, this sorts of stuff. So they come with big egos because they feel like they've got to prove that they're worthy. And I think if if men in the kitchen are, are actually seen and it's not about their knife skills and it's not about, you know, pumping up their, their egos but actually looking at their character... Then, then the ego automatically disappears and they become super soft and wonderful and call you things like their work mama, which is really nice. <laughs> well, I think we've seen a lot of men in COVID who have had more time at home, you know, perhaps with, with their children yeah. and they've really valued that. And I think, yeah. you know, men in, in some cases haven't, yeah, haven't allowed to be them whole selves and yeah. their whole whole selves in the workplace, just as you yeah. as you can say, you know, you can say the same for women. And I think, yeah, yeah deaf society's expectations um, can be really difficult for anybody. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it does feel like the, there is this opportunity to use this moment as a catalyst for change. And I suppose yeah. you know, there's there's obviously the pandemic, but there's also all the stuff that's going on you know, in and around parliament at the moment, mm. um, around sexual assault and toxic masculinity and yeah. gaslighting prime ministers. Um, oh, did I say that? Um, <laughs> uh, do you think that there, there is something about this moment that's a catalyst for change? I, I hope so. I mean, I think, I think there's always going to be segments of society. You know, you look at when, when COVID first hit and I remember hospitality people were saying this will be awesome if we shut down and then we reopen people are going to have a whole new appreciation of us and we won't get treated like shit anymore and then you have you know we reopened and there was there was there was a whole dynamic of people that um behaved that way and were really appreciative and you know treated you like a person and then, but there was this massive split with this huge chasm in between of no balance. So, and then people that just was almost like the rudeness and the entitlement became more exaggerated. So, 
I, I think it depends on it depends on the conversations around that. It depends on, you know, each each place and whether they they put boundaries in place that 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 mean that their staff are respected. And I think if owners, you know, I uh, I found owning establishments when when I was obviously in control. And I put boundaries in place around how people treated my staff. And, you know, like if it was really hot in the kitchen and the temperature went up, we shut. We didn't stay and it wasn't like money was more important than the kitchen's mental and emotional and physical well-being. It just wasn't. So if if people see that as an establishment you're, you're respecting your staff and you know there's an atmosphere of of respect and of care then they walk in the door and they behave differently um so i guess it's you know it, it's all about a culture that that each establishment wants to implement it's about a culture that you want to implement at home you know what sort of culture does parliament want to implement it comes from the head down doesn't it well you you would You'd really hope You'd so. You'd hope so. But, but anyway, um, yeah, I think that's really powerful, you know, to really create a tone in in and around yourself. And I suppose that does have to come from a certain amount of confidence um, yeah. and a belief in your own leadership. Yeah. But, yeah, it it is it is really important. And, you know, what you say about the customers, the grateful ones and the really horrible ones, I've heard that from so many people. It just yeah. seems like it is real, really dichotomous as some people are uh, just acting way more entitled than they used to and yeah. others are just like, you know, melting with gratitude to be <laughs> having someone else bring them some food. So yeah. it is it is really weird. I suppose it's just it's really taken off some of the layers, this um, yeah. this whole COVID I situation. Think, yeah, I think to a lot of, you know, the people that aren't understanding, I don't know that, that they ever will. I mean, there's a real, there, there's an excitement over the industry because we're able to roll again, but there's also a huge wet blanket because you can't, you can't plan anything, you can't, um, you know, um, my mum used to always say, "Energy begets energy," and that is that is so true. If there's no momentum in what you're doing, you know, I don't know how many venues I've gone to, and you can see that the owner's tired. Um, because the owner's tired, they're not really looking at what their staff are doing. The staff are on JobKeeper, um, so they, you know, it's almost like they're getting paid to do nothing. And there's that sort of that that conversation that that should still happen isn't happening. Um, things are getting left you can see that the, the owner just it's almost like they're almost at a place of of giving up it's just too hard you know they're just they're just sliding through there's no there's no passion there's no they're not able to plan they're not able to invest any money into anything because they don't know if we're going to get shut down again so there's there's a lot of people living on a knife edge with no energy and just you know the lethargy is you can you walk into a business and the lethargy is 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 thick like pea soup mm. it's it's quite sad so you know i don't know i forget what my point in saying that was you know of this 50 year old brains taking hold but anyway <laughs> um no i think that your point's well made um 
I guess just that it's really hard and it's been a really taxing time and yeah. also yeah that energy energy flows in all directions yeah um what would you say Nims you know let's say that there's there's a woman working in hospitality listening mm. and, and a lot of what you've said has really resonated with her she is feeling a bit lost in it and uh a bit weighed down and not quite sure what to do next what are some words of wisdom for her um, I think the first thing, the first thing that anybody in hospitality should do if they're feeling like that is to just stop having such high expectations of themselves. You know, the public, that there is such, it's not just the public, but I think generally we've, we place so, so, such a big expectation of ourselves that I don't know that any other industry does. There's this, you know, this, this level of performance constantly, you know, Everything has to be of, of a certain standard or you feel like a big loser. And, you know, like things like things that I would do, say, you know, I, I change the menu every month and I used to bend over backwards to make that happen because I didn't want to disappoint anybody. And I had, you know, sourced stuff from farmers and it was just all so beautiful I wanted everything to be so beautiful and I'd write the blackboards beautifully and I'd be at the shop sometimes till 1am before a menu flip the next day wanting everything to be perfect and one day I thought what am I doing I I know it's my business but I'm killing myself because I'm listening to this expectation and in all reality if I don't deliver it all is anybody really going to care? They might care for 10 minutes. They might care for 30 seconds. Is it going to be beyond that, that, that it will affect me so badly? Am I going to lose business? Is anyone going to fall over? The, <laughs> the worst thing that's going to happen is I'll be in bed at nine. So I started then, you know, not, not, not placing that much that level of perfection on myself I think we just as women especially my goodness we put unrealistic expectations on ourselves so first thing you've got to do is look at that huge list and go you know what what can I what can I piss off really what can I totally let go of today that's not going to matter does it all matter and be really realistic about about what to shave and try and shave at least three quarters of that and then build back in things that are important and and then watch yourself breathe now you know the things that you don't get done you might get done tomorrow you might get done the next day I think too if we're really honest about how we're coping and what we're doing and you know I'm really sorry guys I had you know put on socials I had the intention of having eight amazing specials up today but I didn't quite get there so there's only going to be four but you know what they're going to be the most delicious things people go yay look at you and the amount of of positive feedback you get from that from being honest and transparent is so much better than the feedback you get when all your ducks are lined up but you haven't gotten to bed till 1am and you're feeling really stressed and it causes you to snap at somebody the next day. Yeah, it's so true. It makes me think of, you know, the the waiter that spills the soup on you. Mm. And, of course, it's not ideal, but, oh, my God, how much are you, do you just love them and love the place forever if they deal with it in a really beautiful way? Yeah. 
And I guess it's just letting down the guard, isn't it? And it's just yeah. um, it's just being it's just being like human. Oopsie, I'm human. <laughs> Can yeah. we just be humans here together? Yeah. I think too, you know, there's there's that common thread that you get where people say of of you know guests, you know, remember that you know people in hospitality are human too. But that comes back to this, you know, we've got this, we've almost got this door between us and them. And we're not allowed to see, we're not allowed to let them see that we're not perfect. Everything has to be delivered perfectly, like almost in a robotic fashion. We're not allowed to let them see that we're suffering. We're not allowed, if someone cuts their hand off, don't you dare let them know that the kitchen's fallen down and someone's had to go to the hospital. No, the show must go on and be delivered as though nothing has happened. So and then we get cra- we get cranky because people don't treat us like human beings. But I think if we're if if we present like we are, if we're if we show them that, you know, we're as fallible as the next person and that we don't always have it perfect, but this is how we come up with solutions because we're really innately creative, it gives everyone license to breathe. Mm. And I think those those crazy expectations, now I'm not talking about you know, um, hatted restaurants where you're paying top dollar and, and there is that that level of service and stuff that, you know, there is an expectation. Thank God I've never worked under that kind of pressure because I don't know, especially at this age, that I would cope with that. Um, and I don't know that, that people can cope with that for a long period of time because it's very difficult. Yeah, but I don't know that there's any level of dining or any real any real scenario where it's not okay to be human. I, I just yeah. think it's it's really goes across the board. Yeah. Um, wow, Nims, it's been really incredible to talk to you, and I just think we need to just give a final shout out to Maggie Beer. Yeah. <laughs> what a beautiful person. Yeah, I've got a dream. I because I I haven't ever hugged her in real life, but I have this dream that one day she'll come up to Brisbane. And she'll, you know, I'll be able to interview her and she'll, she'll be able to talk to all the people that are part of this about how she's coped with things. Because, you know, if anyone was going to be real and lay it on the table, it's her. And I think, you know, she gives all the girls permission to just be authentic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for afterwards to be able to sit across the table from her and just, you know... <laughs> I think that would be pretty special and I do like this dream a lot more than your dream of the flapping dockets and the people <laughs> running to you across the field. Actually, so, I, yeah. I, I had a, I knew I was okay when I had, we came up to, um, we came up to Brisbane and just before we opened our, our next place, I knew that I'd gotten over that severe anxiety when I had a dream that I was down at the farm and... I was doing prep in, in a kitchen and she was doing service with another chef and the kitchen was beautiful. Like I've never been there, but, you know, everything in my dream, the copper pots polished beautifully, everything happened. And then people started coming over the field for her and this head chef and he couldn't cope. Notice it was a man. He couldn't cope and he just walked out on her and then she came in to me and she said, Nims, I need your help. There's people already coming. The dockets have started coming in. I don't know what to do. And I said, all right. 
I'll help you, but you've got to let me be in charge. You've got to let me call dockets and organise the show. And she said, all right, you're on. And I went in and I helped her. And in the dream, you know, every single detail, all the, all the prep, all the mise en place on the bench, it was just immaculate. And we were so in control and service was amazing. And I, I didn't miss a beat with the first docket and ploughed through. And it was like I woke up feeling like, oh, like I finally I've been healed from that. And it was such a gift that, that it was her that I was cooking. She's just been threaded through my life. It's unbelievable, isn't it? But it was her that I was cooking with. And that was the, that was the end of that nightmare. It was wonderful. <laughs> That is so awesome. Yeah. What a, what a lovely brain you've got to take you on this journey. Um, Nims, it's just been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I know that your words are going to mean so much to so many people. So thank you for sharing so openly with us today. It's, it, we're really grateful. My pleasure. No one needs to be alone. It's all good. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.